This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Nate Aiken here with the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we want to have conversations about seeing Christ in all the scriptures in a way that is clear and life-changing. And you can find out more about Christ-Centered and Clear at our website, ChristCenteredAndClear.com. You'll find there sermons, articles, and many resources to, to help you in this endeavor. And also, we'd love for you to contact us, uh, ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com, about questions you have, topics or texts you would like us to tackle. Uh, and also, please, with this podcast, review it, rate it, share it with friends. Uh, we'd love to have uh, interaction there and, and have more people listening in. So uh, thank you guys for listening. I have with me today on the podcast, and we're going to hear from each one of them just briefly who they are, but have, again, with me my uh, twin brother, John Aiken, uh, who helps me lead this podcast. And then we also have Jeff Hay, who you've heard from in a previous podcast, Pastor in Ireland. And then for the first time today, we have with us uh, Jason Redberg. And we're going to hear just a little bit about him in a second to get to know him before we jump into uh, covering the book of Daniel. So brothers, thanks for being on the podcast. Let's jump in. And uh, Jason, let's let's hear from you, just get to know who you are. And uh, and then we'll get a, just a brief introduction from John and Jeff. And then again, we'll jump in uh, to Daniel. So Jason, tell us uh, who you are, where you're pastoring, uh, and then we'll get some background information after that. So Jason Redberg, I serve as the lead pastor of Redeemer Bible Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, so just west of the Twin Cities. I've been here for the last three and a half years, married to Karen, have four children ranging from six years old to 15. Uh, I am also serving presently as a board member of the Pillar Network, and that's primarily where I have uh, gotten to know uh well, you, Nate, and uh, we've been able to develop a, a friendship and a relationship through our involvement in the Pillar Network. That's right. So tell us, where were you born and uh, when did you come to know Christ? I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana, um, but then my family moved all throughout the Midwest when I was growing up. So we lived in Michigan, Minnesota, Indiana for a second time, then Wisconsin for for about 15 years, uh, my my mom's dad was an independent Baptist pastor, and then my dad, as he was a Christian school administrator, was also an associate pastor at different places. Um, heard the gospel faithfully all throughout my life, wonderfully from my parents. They were faithful Christians, but it wasn't until I was 19. It was after my freshman year of college. I was working at a Christian camp. And that was the first time in my life when I understood that my sin deserved God's wrath and I was broken over my sin. I cried out to Jesus as my only hope in life and death, and he mercifully saved me. And uh, as you would hope after that, everything in my life changed and set me on a trajectory toward ministry and uh 
there were a lot of influences after that. So 19, so when's the first time uh, you, you actually preached a sermon? And do you remember the text? 16. Okay. So before yeah. you were a Christian. Yep. So yeah, can we call I that would, a sermon? Yeah, I would not recommend that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's ideal, but that's sort of the environment that I grew up in. So because of my personality and other things, they were like, hey, you should be a preacher. And so they gave us opportunities to preach. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously those would have been a train wreck, as you would expect if an unbeliever is trying to preach. Hmm. Uh, but after that, I don't remember what the first text was. The first one that I remember was Second Timothy three fifteen through 17. And I just remember being so enamored with this idea, and I wouldn't have called it this at that time, but this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture, um, hmm. That I remember preaching a sermon on the perfect and powerful Word of God, and it was probably um, just a series of quotes from John MacArthur at that point, mm. because he was the only expositor that I knew of uh, as a as a young Christian who was uh, just obsessed with knowing the Bible and knowing it well. So that's what it would have been. So if it was a series of quotes of his, it probably wasn't too bad. But um, that's the first one I remember. Do you remember first uh, Old Testament text? I don't, but I, as I thought about it, I mean, I was, I shied away from the Old Testament. I think mostly because like I John knew... MacArthur. <laughs> 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 no comment. Um, <laughs> I think mostly because I knew the way I had heard the Old Testament preach growing up wasn't right, but I didn't necessarily know what to do to correct that problem. Mm. Um, mm. So I I remember hearing sermons that were allegorical and moralistic. It was be like Daniel, be like David, or it was taking some crazy story from the Old Testament and making these strange and fanciful connections that you're thinking, hey, that was really clever, but I'm pretty sure that was wrong. Um, but I didn't know exactly how to approach it. It was through a name I think that you and John know, Randy McKinnon. Yeah. Uh, Randy had finished his PhD under John Salehammer. And so I remember hearing Randy say it was in an Old Testament class at Shepherd Seminary. He talked about the Pentateuch, first of all, as primarily a theological document. Then he said the Old Testament has this messianic trajectory. And I just remember listening to this thinking, this is wonderful. I've he it feels like he's just pulling the curtains back on something and it's it's clear for the first time in my life. So I would say after Randy's uh the influence of Randy and then that opened the door to a number of authors and theologians and Old Testament scholars that gave me more confidence for how I could approach the Old Testament in an appropriate and biblical and Christ-centered way. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thanks again for your time, brother. Uh, you are uh, preaching up that way. Your brother also is part of the Pillar Network, a uh, much better preacher than you are, but we decided to have you on the podcast. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> My mom would agree with that. I know that. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jason's a fantastic preacher, so check out his stuff at Christ Centered and Clear, and then certainly through his uh, website there up in uh, Minnesota. John, just again, briefly tell the uh, listeners who you are. 
John Aiken, and I work for the North American Mission Board overseeing uh, young leader engagement and currently am interim pastor at First Baptist Church Naples. And then Jeff Hay, the voice of Christ-Centered and Clear, tell us who you are. Oh, well, that's me, if you can understand me. Yeah, I am uh, here in Dublin, Ireland, pastoring a church called Ballycullen Community Church here in Dublin, married to Caroline with four kids. Great. Good to have you, brother. Um, so let's let's talk. All three of you guys have preached through the the book of Daniel, and so we're going to have a series of podcasts. Don't know how many that's going to be, but a series of podcasts going through the book. So let's just start with some preliminary questions. John, I'll kind of throw it to you first. Uh, when uh, when did you preach this, and how did you break up the book? So I preached this in 2016, uh, which was an interesting time, and it was a deliberate. It was a deliberate. Uh, decision as we were in an election year. And um, there's this tendency, at least within um, the uh, streams of evangelicalism I've been in, to think that every fourth year is the most important and terrifying year in the history of the world. And um, and so there's a lot of just concern and, and con- con- you know consternation that comes along that anxiety. And I just wanted to be clear about um, who is who is sovereign, who is on the throne, who is in control. And so we we preached through Daniel in 2016, and basically broke it up. Um, the narrative section, so it's, the the book's divided into two parts. You've got uh, the first six chapters are the narrative portion of exile, and then seven through twelve, the last half is prophecy and these visions that Daniel has. And so we did the first six, uh, just one sermon per chapter, and then eight and 10 through 11, really 10 through 12, kind of are a prophecy dealing with the same thing. And so we, we clumped that together and then dealt with seven and nine separately. And so that's, it was about 11, 10 or 11 sermons. So almost one per chapter, we, we did, we did put some together at the end. Yeah. We'll ask some questions around, uh, around that in a minute. So. Uh, so 2016, about 10 or 11 sermons, and you gave some, you know, obviously some, some reasons why you broke it up that way. Uh, Jeff, let's come to you. When, when did you preach this? I know it was several years ago. How many sermons and why did you preach it during that season? Well, actually, I preached it end of 2017, and then second half of Daniel started 2018, uh, looking back when I figured out when we did it. And I Reason being, well, we just varied Old Testament, New Testament, and hadn't done uh, uh, Daniel, so just chose it because we preached through the whole Bible. But it was very timely because 2017, yes, there were we were even getting news reports uh, here in Ireland of what was going on in the states uh, with the leaders being put in place. But also in Ireland, it was very timely because there was massive debate going on. We were had the abortion referendum here in Ireland in 2018 at the beginning of that. And so Ireland, uh, post-Catholic country, morals are, are, are going through. Biblical Christians are very much in a minority to hold to a pro-life position. You were an out cast you were completely in exile in the country that you were living in so and with the chaos going on with all of that uh, the book of daniel was very timely in that time being in the minority but seeing that god's still in control and in charge how many sermons did y'all preach through it 
added 11, so pretty much a chapter per uh, sermon, but then did 11 and 12 together at the end. It's interesting, both you and John mentioned the season your churches were in. Uh, John, going back to what you said, I, I met a brother a couple years ago now uh, doing a PhD <clears throat> in church history and was talking about how the colonists were viewing uh, things with England as the end times and there were some important elections and they were uh, even back as far as two, 200 years ago, even further than that, there was the same kind of theme of big election comes up, The you know we're in the end times and... Uh, very, very interesting how that continues to cycle through. This conjecture about the end times and who is who is what and what's the mark of the beast, literally almost every generation of Christians since the first has been asking these questions. And so you, ha- you do have in the colonies, the Stamp Act is the mark of the beast. King right. George is the Antichrist. 1980s supermarket scanners are the mark of the beast. Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. With now people worry worried about if they're going to put chips in us or whatever to track COVID or whatever. I mean, and so of course we're in the end times right now because we've got, you know, what, what are those things? Uh, dragon hornets or whatever that came to the United <laughs> yeah, States or, hornets. you know, I mean, yeah. so murder hornets. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so yeah. yeah, there's a lot of speculation. Jason, um, I think you guys are currently in it, but tell, yeah, tell us when, when did you preach it? Why? And then how, how'd you kind of break it up? Yeah, so we just finished it two weeks ago, um, so it's pretty fresh on our minds. Uh, I would say we picked the book primarily because of the obvious and undeniable theme of God's sovereignty, and then also his covenant faithfulness to his people, uh, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Um, now, when we scheduled the series, we weren't yet uh, in a pandemic. We had no clue that our own city, Minneapolis and St. Paul, would experience uh, this the deep social unrest in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, and then the subsequent protests and rioting. So this was unlike anything most of us have ever seen before. So this series really proved to be a perfect series for this time. And we can't take credit for that. We would have never anticipated what was going on. Um, But I mean, think about it. Well, our people are daily and weekly battling fear and anxiety. They're looking around and everything seems uncertain. There's this sense that everything's out of control. Uh, They come on a Sunday and we open up this text and they're reminded that God is absolutely sovereign. He's Mm -hmm. infinitely loving and faithful and that earthly kings and kingdoms will pass away and Christ will reign in perfect justice and holiness. We just, we couldn't have anticipated how it would land on the people, but God in his kindness just chose this perfectly for us at this time. How many, how many uh, sermons? So we did 10 sermons, divided it up similar to the, the way the guys have talked about it. We sort of highlighted God's attributes as they're displayed and, and put on display in the book of Daniel. So uh, 10 sermons combining, so a couple on a few chapters, and then we combined 10 through 12 at the end. Jason, you've kind of hit on this already what my next question was, but I'll come right back to you and start with you. What What are the big themes uh, in this book that you were kind of highlighting? And then Jeff and John, I'll come to you with the same question. Yeah, so some of the things that I think, um, I think everybody would agree on and then some that we probably brought out because of what was happening in our neck of the woods and, and we thought these were appropriate 
applications as well. But sovereignty of God over every square inch of the universe and all that happens within it. I, I just don't think that could be emphasized too much. Hmm. Uh, the unfailing faithfulness of God to his people, even as they experience earthly exile. So you're looking around and you say, I don't. I don't understand what's going on. It looks like chaos and confusion everywhere. But to say, in spite of all of that, uh, God is unfailingly faithful to his people. The boldness of true worshipers in the face of opposition. Uh, the hopeful perseverance of God's people uh, living in a world of ungodly authority and rampant injustice. Uh, and then the futility of earthly kings and kingdoms, and then the contrast, which I already mentioned, with the true king and his everlasting kingdom, obviously pointing us to Christ. So I would say those were the big themes yep. that appeared almost every week in some form or fashion. Yeah, and we'll go into more detail in each chapter, but that's helpful. Jeff, big themes uh, that you kind of stand out to you? And not so much more to add to what Jason has said there, uh, with God's sovereignty ruling overall. Maybe just, again, what he mentioned, but that likewise, just as Daniel and his friends are in exile, away from their homeland, uh, we are in exile, belonging to the New Jerusalem. So how to trust and live as exiles in a pagan world can come out in this book, I think, as well. Yeah. John, what about you? So I, I would just uh, tack on to what Jeff said there. I think in terms of practical application, one of the big things that that is, again, as we were going through an election year, and, and I even think now, just in a social media context in America specifically, and I don't know what it's like uh, in Ireland, but uh, this this idea of living as exiles, um, the thing that is most striking to me, and again, we'll bring this out, this most striking to me is the humility and uh, love that Daniel and uh, his friends show, uh, even like love for Nebuchadnezzar, who stole them from their families and from their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see these, they are, they are men of absolute moral fiber who will not bow the knee, but they don't do so in an arrogant, prideful, look at me kind of way. They're, 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 you know, chapter one, let, let's do this in secret. You know, there's not, it's not, we're not going to just make a display of this. Uh, just give us 10 days, see how it goes. You know, like just all along the way, they're being, uh, they're holding their faith with great courage, but they're being kind and humble and they're engaging um, the uh, the city in that way. And so that's, that's a big thing trying to, to bring out, kind of that faithful in the small things and faithful in the big things as you see the progression of, of the opposition that they face. And then just, again, not, not really different from what has been said, but just the, the, the fact that God continues to vindicate his people is, is a key theme throughout the book um, that obviously, as, as Jesus tells us that the whole point of the Old Testament, the point of the scriptures is, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? That, that suffering and then vindication is the, is the gospel story. And we see that play out over and over again in Daniel. Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of Scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of Scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by 
by authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. John, we'll come back to you. Got a couple questions from listeners. I think it would be helpful to set on the front end. We could weave them in, but I think it would be good just to go ahead and get it uh, at the at the front. Uh, what do you make of the the shift in languages in the book? And, uh, and then even maybe with that, so what do you make of the shift in languages in the book? And then how do you think the narratives in the first half of the book fit with the prophecies in the second half of the book? Yeah, so there's a shift in language, and we'll talk more about that, but the Aramaic is, is the language used from chapter 2, some of the verses in chapter 2 through chapter 7. I, I mean, and I'd love to hear the other guys' take. My take is this is a book that is a, uh, a global, uh, it's showing God's kingdom is going to be a global kingdom, and it's going to engage with the kingdoms of the world. And so I think it's, a, it's kind of a missional book in that way. Uh, and so I think it's, it's because of this. You have... Nebuchadnezzar uh, mimicking the Great Commission in some ways, where he's saying all peoples, tongues, languages, etc., bow down to this, and then you're seeing all peoples, language, tongues worshiping the God of you know of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or, or worshiping the God of Daniel. And so there's this this Great Commission mimicking of the Great Commission and a foretaste of the Great Commission that we see, I think, in the book. And so that's why I think the shift in language, because he because this is you know. Genesis 12, Genesis 11, reversal of Babel, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and under the rule of the offspring of Abraham. Uh, and then I think the, the way that it's set up this way, because I think the truth of the narratives establishes the truth of the prophecy for these people who are saying, hey, I know it doesn't look like God's promises are coming true, uh, but they are. And, and see this all-powerful the most powerful empire in the history of the world. It's gone. It's, it's dead. It's away. And God's people are still, Daniel's still in the kingdom and he's still like number two, like really close to Darius. And so uh, you, you see this, like God vindicates his people. Therefore you can trust that he's going to keep his promises and that ultimately all these kingdoms are going to be toppled and his kingdom is going to be established. And so that's, that's, I think why it's set up in that way. I'll come to Jeff and Jason, but do those two things, those two questions, the way you answer that, that did, uh, does in some way affect how you preach the book? Yeah, I definitely think it, it, it affects how you preach the book. Um, and it, if I think, it's most important in terms of like the theo- the overall theology of the book and that these are not just isolated stories, not just, you know, um, hey, here's a really great one on them not eating the king's food. Now, here's a great one on not bowing to the image. Now, here's a great, you know, they're all connected. And, and there there is a there is a purpose throughout the book of what he's trying to do as he's as he's ultimately pointing to look the promise, the promises to David, the promise to Israel that 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 they're going to establish a kingdom that's over the entire earth, right? Uh, that that kingdom is 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 going to come, and it's it's actually going to come through the the death and the vindication of the Messiah, and we'll we'll talk more about that uh, later. Jeff, any thoughts on the shift in language, um, and then even just the first half of the book being more narrative in the second half prophecy? Anything you would add to what John's talked about? Not much apart, you know, he's, he's said it all, really. I do think there's a lot of ink spilt in this, but uh, with it starting with a chapter in Hebrew and then going to Aramaic, chapter 7 seems to be almost maybe an overlap chapter. Uh, 
linking the two sections being uh, the apocalyptic. But I, I think, as, as maybe has been said, this shows that the Lord reigns not just over the people of God in Hebrew, uh, but over the whole world uh, with the Aramaic language, uh, language of Babylon at the time. So I think that seemed to be convincing to me shows that the Lord is reigning over all and with using the two languages. Jason, anything to add there, brother? Yeah, I, I think more the second part of your question, uh, the the two divisions of the book, one of the things that we brought out just in terms of application is that um, God is not silent. Uh, at different points in redemptive history, he has communicated with his people and he's revealed himself to his people and his revelation of himself, of his sovereignty, of his kindness, of his faithfulness is what enables us to live as an exile and to persevere in the faith. Um, so one of the things we said when we got to the second part of the, the prophecy part is one of the applications is allow your thinking and your worldview, how you interpret all that's going on in the world, allow that to be shaped by God's word. Um, so don't just give way to endless speculation, but listen primarily to the voice of God and hear from him and allow him to help you make sense of all that's going on. That's good. What, two more preliminary questions, John. I'll come back to you real, real quick. So, you know, we're doing this podcast, and a lot of what we hit on in the first ten episodes, and what we were calling season one, but made kind of transition to just doing this weekly. Uh, we're, we looked a lot at typology. How do you see the relationship between typology and what we just might say is outright prophecy? It seems very clear. Been even for the most part, Daniel seven seems very clear. Uh, how do you make kind of just the relationship between the two and how do you see them as similar and different? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think, I think there's a lot more overlap and I don't think there's as much quote unquote direct prophecy as people want to uh, think that there is. Um, and so even like, cause I mean, you think about the way that Matthew talks about fulfillment of prophecy and he's Matthew two, when they, they go to Egypt and then out of Egypt, I've called my son and, and people are reading Hosea 11. They're like, what? Like, this is not direct, you know, direct, like what's, what's going on here. And, and so outside of maybe like the Bethlehem, uh, that Micah five, the Bethlehem, um, I mean, even things like the suffering servant, uh, people there's to, to use Jeff's phrase, a lot of ink has been spilt, uh, by people on, on, on a number of these things. And so, I think even Daniel seven, we're going to get into. There is there's a lot of clarity in terms of like the, the, the guy's going to be called the son of man or what you know whatever is the son of man figure, but the rest of that that whole thing is typology. These beasts coming out of the sea and um, all that. I mean, it's it's all s symbolic. It's all patterns that are being pulled from earlier places in the Bible. And so, I think that I think it's important for us to recognize, and I think this is going to be important for at least for my interpretation of Daniel is a, a typological interpretation is I don't, that's why I don't think that, that you have to say, okay, this refers only to Antiochus or this refers only to Rome or this refers only to the Antichrist. Um, and so I think you see it, it, what Daniel's, why it's so great is this pattern of the way the empires of men clash with the kingdom of God and the way God's people should live in light of that. So. Mm -hmm. 
Good. Jeff, Jason, anything you would add on that question? No. Okay. Uh, real quick, Jason, you just went through it. Best resources as far as studying the book, commentaries, other helps and resources. Yeah, so I found um, probably the best single commentary on this for me was Sinclair Ferguson's. I think it was in the Preacher's Commentary. So not uh, Danny Aiken's? Danny Aiken was a close number two. <laughs> okay. Um, but I felt about like... about in this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, uh, you know, so much of, of Danny's stuff was just taken from you and John. Okay. That it yeah. was, I've heard it all before. Um, no, Sinclair Ferguson, I thought was really, really helpful. Yeah, your dad's commentary I thought was excellent. And then I'd found, um, there were other commentaries that were helpful, but I found uh, Alec Mateer in a number of his different books would have chapters or sections or paragraphs on Daniel. And every single thing I read just seemed like, gold mm. um and then i found out that he was he's from dublin um he was a dubliner am i saying that correctly well, Jeff? well bred well bred yeah so it, it's it's no surprise that uh everything he put out was helpful so um yeah those would be the things that come to mind right away good uh jeff what did you guys use as far as helps i think i had a, a number of commentaries and they were all pretty different. I mean, Dale Ralph Davis is always good, simple, but great, God-centered, really pointing to the clear ones. And, and David Helm is a little one as well, if you want a, a little one that helps with some of the tying to Christ uh, aspects, I find helpful in addition. Great. John, what did, uh, helpful resources? I'll just add one because I affirm a lot of what they've already said, but these, I love these new studies in biblical theology that Carson is the editor of. And Jim Hamilton who's a friend of mine wrote the, the book on the, the biblical theology of Daniel. It's called with the clouds of heaven. And I just think Jim's stuff on this is really good and helpful. Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.